Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? It happens to me just about every night. About two in the morning, some song from the 30s and 40s goes into my head, and I can't remember certain words, and I keep looping it through that. And then it's morning. Um, once in a while, a rock song goes through, but usually it's big band stuff. I've had a uh, phrase going through my head almost the entire period of Lent. And as a result of that, this sermon is, is a re- repeat. Now, you know, I seldom repeat sermons, though I often repeat content because I want to reinforce it. But this is a repeat, not an exact repeat, um, but it's a sermon title that I've used for many years throughout my ministry. Um, Ours, the cross, the grave, the skies. We used to have those banners up uh, in one of the congregations that I was pastoring. Um, The reason this is significant to me, I grew up um, Easter Sunday morning. There would be a basket next to my bed and uh, uh, chocolate eggs in my slippers. And in the basket was a solid chocolate bunny. Solid. Not this stuff you get today. Solid chocolate. Would take weeks to eat that thing. And I was good at it. I knew nothing else about uh, what this day was. That's what it meant to me. It wasn't until later that I found out what the resurrection was all about. Even later, before I made a somewhat profession of faith, and then later when uh, the Lord really got a hold of me. It was much later, because I was in the parachurch world and not in the congregational world, before I began to understand liturgy, what we're doing today, this going through the readings of the scriptures and the approaching God through them thematically based on the religious calendar. And particularly the Holy Days. This week, as you know, is the primary intersection between Judaism and Christianity. It's a remembrance of the Passover and the events when God delivered Israel uh, from slavery in Egypt into a covenant that he made with them at Sinai. With the promised land in sight, that promise made to Abraham. It's also a remembrance of of Jesus, the suffering servant of God, who endured the death of the cross, was buried and resurrected. And in this he became the sacrifice for our sin, the ultimate Passover, and the atonement for Israel and for those of us from the nations who trust in the God of Abraham. This week is more than that. Uh, This week also connects to Shavuot. We wave the first fruits. We'll count 50 days to Shavuot or Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. That looks back to the time 50 days after the Exodus when Israel received the commandments of God from Mount Sinai through Moses. It connects to Yom Kippur because we looked at Good Friday as really the Day of Atonement with Jesus as our High Priest. We're now counting off the days when we get to 40 It will be the ascension where he ascends into heaven. Uh, And so this ties not only 
into that, but then he will return and it will tie into tabernacles or Sukkot. There's an enormous synergy of what God's doing in the celebrations of this week. And I'm aware that many like myself grew up not knowing anything about them, and many even in the churches don't know much about those things. Uh, I'm thrilled to see this congregation not only pass the faith down to their children, but pass it abroad to others. Um, And, as Trevor mentioned, it being a provocation to unbelieving Israel to get back to the things that are rightfully theirs. Uh, Those are really what this is about. The ritual of the Passover Seder and the Last Supper of Holy Week both express these truths. And they invite us to experience them. To experience them as if we were there. That's why the ritual is so critical. And to also internalize them so that they become part of our faith, part of our identity in the Messiah. And the resurrection is of particular importance to this. Because we're told in several passages in the New Testament that we are to consider ourselves raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavens. So the phrase that's been going through my head all during Lent comes from the song we sang today, Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Now in the Catholic tradition, all through Lent, they never say Alleluia. It's not allowed to be said until today. So there's this anticipation through the Lent and the period of preparation in anticipation of the the praise the Lord that is said in that Hebraic phrase. The words of the last verse say, Soar we now where Christ has led, meaning we rise up to where Christ has gone before us, following our exalted head, raised like Him. Like Him we rise. There's a sermon right there. Raised like Him means that we are going to be changed to be like Him and ascend up to meet Him in the air. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. That's the phrase. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 1, 5-10 as we consider this. The Apostle says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. 
This message given to the Thessalonians by the Apostle Paul didn't stay with them. It went to their children, it went to others, and it provoked Israel. And I have been probably heard more from people who have been ministered to by this congregation, either by their attendance or by their attendance in your homes for Shabbat or in your uh, homes for a Seder or in some grouping in that context. So that I know that your faith, this congregation's faith, is well established in the believing community. But that phrase, ours, the cross, the grave, the skies, normally put me into talking about those three things, and I'm going to do that. But the phrase that caught me, the word that caught me the most this this Lent, was ours. I grew up in the emergence of radical individualism. And the faith that I was taught in the parachurch was a me faith. God loved me. Not y'all, me. I'm his favorite. And he needs me so bad that he's willing to pay my debt of my sin so that I can be his kid. And in my thoughts, the next Billy Graham. Going to do great things for God. And so I had this highly individualized faith, very seldom attended church, unless I was raising funds for Youth for Christ, and those kind of things. And my faith began as an isolated individual faith that is now more common. It was was just emerging then, but now it is very common. And that's a lonely faith, and that's a partial faith. Because this faith is relational and communal. This faith is born in the family, in the household. Passed on to the children and the grandchildren. Shared with the friends and neighbors and the congregants. And there are a lot of people, the rise of the nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. They don't go to church, they don't need church. Now, I believed that, but I understand now, you can't do this faith alone. Very hard to love one another by yourself. Just not really something you can do. Every one of the commandments requires God or somebody else for you to do it. It's a relational faith. It's a communal faith. And so, this phrase strikes me. The cross is ours, not mine. Ours. The grave is ours. The skies are ours. Well, what does it mean? Well, it means, first of all, that God the Father purposed to work through those three things for our benefit and for our good. And secondly, that it's for us, not me. That we are accepted in the beloved in community. And the unity of the faith and the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and the bond of love is what we're supposed to be about. We're fellow partakers of the promises, not individual partakers of the promises. And one day, and I don't get this, one day, we all 
will be to the praise of his glory before the angels and the principalities and the powers which are to come. There's much more coming. When Jesus said it is finished, he didn't mean everything was accomplished. He meant that it was now established. And it certainly is. So ours is the cross. We have that symbol of the cross back at the back of the sanctuary. And I love the uh, plaque above it in Hebrew and Greek and in Latin. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The cross is ours. Now this is both shocking and amazing. You know, if you think about it, uh, the cross is wearing the symbol of death. It is. It's the death of Jesus, and it's our death. The cross that he bore our sins, and the cross that we take up daily and bear for him. Now, many of us through Lent go through the practice of donning a cross. Uh, I got a chance to teach this and share this with some students at Cal Baptist this year. This was their first time doing that. And you know, as we put the cross on, we say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You can wear a cross, it doesn't mean anything. You can go through the ritual, it doesn't mean anything. But if you really think about those words, there is an exchange going on. You are denying yourself. You are taking up your cross to walk in a different way than you would walk normally. Now for some people who have compliant personalities, that's not difficult. But some of us, I've been described as the pastor of the church of the rebellious heart. Um, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Knowing better. But knowing better doesn't always hold you there. I speak so often to women who are trying to control their husbands. Trying to convince them. That's not going to work. Fear of God in a man, the fear of God in a man will keep him on the straight path. And no nagging from the rooftop, from the basement, or from the passenger seat will change that. God calls men to be men of faith. A man and his God, a man and his family a man and his community, are really the bedrock of what this faith is as we, as we do that. And then, of course, in the evening we remove the cross, saying, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We are in a place in this country where the church is so assimilated, so assimilated, that it's hard to tell where the world begins and the church ends. 
And I see it in a lot of things. I've talked about this before, you know, the, the book uh, All, God's, uh, All God's People in Blue Suede Shoes. The chapter that talks about we're of the world but not in it. I've been to churches where I couldn't tell if I was at Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm. With all the stuff that was going on. Was there spiritual stuff going on there? Could be. But I can't tell. Hard to tell where it is. That's why a lot of people think they're believers just because they happen to go to church, listen to a sermon. Sitting here and listening to a sermon doesn't make you a believer. What makes you a believer is walking by faith day by day. So the text makes it clear that we're dead to the world. That phrase meant something different in the 60s. <laughs> meant you were exhausted. But, but what it means now is, I, I'm not part of that world, right? I be, I'm kingdom-minded. Those are not words. That's a lifestyle that we take where we struggle with what it means. And it doesn't mean that we don't drive cars and we become Amish. But it does mean that we watch out that in thinking like the world and in the categories of the world, instead of the categories of the kingdom, we begin to assimilate in that framework. We have a new life in him. That's what our baptism was about. That we are raised to walk in newness of life. I want to read one other verse before I stop on the issue of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, 22-23. And again, through Lent, this began to be very obvious to me. Um, as I was going through social media and looking at the memes and the statements that are being made by people. First Corinthians 1, 22 says, For indeed the Jews are asking for a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Reflecting, I was sick this week. I got sick and had to cancel classes all week. So I had a lot of time to think and go through social media. And uh, I was thinking about my younger years in part because of uh, the loss of my friend Dave. And it dawned on me very strongly, and I've said this before, but when I was growing up, even though my family wasn't Christian, we were influenced by Christian stuff. The school teacher and the cop and the, and the coach all told me to be a good boy based on the Ten Commandments. There was a respect for churches and a respect for God, even if people didn't believe. They would be cautious if all they knew of God was that He was the man upstairs, right? But boy, that's changed. And I have watched meme after meme and statement after statement of mocking this faith and making fun of it in some ways that are very, very vulgar. And it's coming in some cases and being passed on in many cases by people claiming to be believers. That assimilation is making us almost on the verge of blasphemy in some of the ways that we're talking. 
And I'm seeing that those who take the cross seriously and the scripture seriously are the objects of that mockery. But that cross is ours. And the grave is ours. Now I became um, acquainted with death very early in my life. Uh, in junior high, I had uh, a very close friend die. Uh, my grandmother died. President Kennedy was shot. My dad started dying. So I became very, very focused on that. And of course, many of you know my background in the funeral business and other kinds of things. Because to me, the one thing that mocks this faith is death. You can believe all kinds of things. You can, you can hope that your relatives are okay when they're gone. All you want. But the reality is, death is a mockery of this faith. And the resurrection, which the grave represents, is critical. Because a dead prophet can speak good words but they can't save him. We're focused on the incarnation and the resurrection of our Lord. And it has to be a real flesh and blood resurrection. Not the same, but from that. Or we don't really have certainty about this. There's a passage in Luke. I'll just allude to it because it's only two verses. Luke chapter 5, where... Jesus tells a man his sins are forgiven. And the people around him go crazy. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus says, this man is lame. Jesus says, so what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up and walk? Well, listen, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Nobody can check that out. But if you say rise up and walk, He either gets up or he doesn't, right? And so Jesus said to the man, so you will know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. And he did. That empty tomb is the only thing that gives me hope when I'm at Braden's grave, when I'm at my family's grave, when we're at John's grave, my friend's grave. It's only... A hope if that tomb is empty. That's for us. Jesus didn't need that. He didn't need to become flesh in the first place. But he did so that he could rise from the dead and we would know that this is certain. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. So that grave is ours too. And the one that's a little awkward and less known is ours, the skies. What do you mean the skies, right? It speaks of the ascension and the return of our Lord. There is a day that is virtually unknown. 
among Christians. Not liturgical Christians, not traditional Christians, but evangelicals and free church people. It's Ascension Day. Comes 40 days from today, always on a Thursday, because today is always on a Sunday. And Pentecost is always on a Sunday. So that 40th day is always on a Thursday. And in traditional liturgical churches, it's a day of obligation. That means get your tukas in in church, right? Butts in the seats, right? You must appear before the Lord. And the reason for that is that the ascension and the second coming are directly tied. One more verse for you on this. Acts chapter 1, I love this verse. It always takes me back to my first visit to the Holy Land. Acts 1, 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they were asking him. The Greek here says they, they kept on pestering him. It's kind of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? The disciples are doing this to Jesus. And they're saying, Lord, is it now when you're going to establish the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Obviously, referring to Jesus saying, I don't know when I'm returning, only the Father knows, right? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now we know where Jesus was. He's on the Mount of Olives. We know the return is on the Mount of Olives. He'll step foot on the Mount of Olives. It will split open and that will establish the kingdom. And when Linda and I first went to Israel, I was really excited about two things. One, the shrine of the book. I wanted to see that Isaiah scroll. Because if you don't have a faith in the text, then you're just speculating about God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So I had to see that. The second one was, I wanted to stand on the Mount of Olives and look at the city of Jerusalem. And I couldn't at that time, I've I've been back several times, and each time I never have the time to go to the little chapel of the Ascension that's on there. So I just found a place on the Mount of Olives, and Linda and I were there during a time when they got most of their rainfall for the year. It was raining almost every day. And the clouds were covered over and that. And I wanted to get a picture of the blue sky. And there was no blue sky. And so I thought I'd just take a picture from the mound up in there. It's a ridiculous thing because all it is is clouds, right? But just as I got ready to take it, the clouds parted and there was a bright blue sky. And I got the picture. And now I can't find it. But that picture is in my head. Jesus ascended just started rising up, right? Into the cloud. And the guys are all. And two guys in white standing there saying, what are you idiots looking at? 
this same Jesus will come back. Just like you saw, he's going to descend from heaven. With the trump of God and the shout of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, if we live that long, will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we'll start to rise up with them. This will all be visible. There's no disappearing act. This is all visible. So why does the hymn writer say, Raise like Him, like Him we rise. Gathered together, surrounding the world, He steps down on the Mount of Olives and establishes the kingdom. And we will never be separated from each other or from the Lord again. Ours, the skies. The skies is about the gathering. It's about us being together. Now, I don't know where to go from there because I don't know what happens next. But John tells us a little bit. And this will be my last verse. First John. Chapter 3. Two verses. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That we would be called children of God. Notice that word children. For such we are. And for this reason the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Beloved. Now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared what we will be. Now what's he talking about? At the resurrection we won't be children of God anymore. Paul talks about this in Galatians. You can be a child heir of everything. You could be the next king. But when you're a kid, you're under tutors and other people who control you. Waiting for the day that the Father will set aside for your adoption. Now in our culture, adoption means taking somebody who's not your kid and making them your kid. That's fine. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about what we see when somebody is confirmed. They go from being a child to being an adult. We will be adults in the kingdom. Whatever that means. And that's what he says. We don't know what that is. Now we're the children of God. He then says this. We know that when he appears. It, doesn't, it hasn't appeared as yet what we will be. As full men and women of God. Not just his children, not just learning, but actually functioning in his kingdom and his eternal new heaven and new earth. We don't know that yet, right? But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. Remember the transformation? Transfiguration? Three disciples saw it. We're going to see him as he is and go, we're like him. Wow. 
from breathing dirt. That's all we are. God put the breath of life in the, in the, in the dust of the ground. We go from breathing dirt to the adult sons and daughters of God. For all eternity. For whatever he's got planned. And I have no idea what it is. And neither do you. And neither do the book writers. Because what the scripture says is, I has not seen, ears not heard, neither has it entered into the imagination of man the things that God is preparing for him. He spoke this thing into creation. And he's been preparing all of this for us to be included for eternity. The cross is ours. The grave is ours. The hope of the skies is ours. Our faith in the God of Israel and what he has accomplished and is accomplishing will sustain us through any dark times that come. And if we inculcate it in our children and in our grandchildren, and in those that we can reinforce. We will stay faithful to him. And we will know what he is doing. Because we will see it. I am encouraged so much this Holy Week season. Because as I said last week. Up until now. In most things. I've had to lead it. I've had to do it. I've had to push it. And you never know, and this is the problem of helping God out. Watch out when you help God out. You never know when you help God out whether God did anything. And if you do it all, you never know if your children and grandchildren and those that you've ministered to will carry on. I was in a Bible study once. I had a guy who was trying to get to lead music because I was tired of playing the guitar. And so I faked an injury. And he had to play the guitar. And after that, I couldn't stop him. And I learned in that that I have to step out of the way. And when I step out of the way, I'm not failing God. I'm checking how things are going. Well, I think the Disciple Center is going well. When I watch what you're doing in your homes, and I watch what uh, Trevor and, and the other elders and leaders are doing, I believe that what we're doing, we may not be in this room forever, but this faith and this approach is going to live in generations and spread beyond that. And I, I agree, I think the experience that happened in Texas is showing that we are now branching out relationally to minister in a broader context. And I, for one, am thankful to God for that. And all of that is true because he is risen. risen Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.